1998, and the PlayStation is the king of the console world, having become a runaway success in both the West and Japan, thanks to a combination of cutting-edge hardware fusing true 3D visuals with CD-quality video and audio, and a cavalcade of exciting and innovative software from developers spanning the globe. And perhaps no other developer had benefited more from the success of Sony's system than Squaresoft. Having already made their name on Nintendo hardware in the earlier half of the 90s through a series of landmark RPG releases, they decided to part ways with the Kyoto-based gaming giant and cast in their lot with Sony, investing heavily in SGI development hardware and pre-rendered computer imagery in an effort to fully realise a burgeoning aim to introduce a cinematic flair to their titles. The end result would be Final Fantasy VII whose runaway success in both Japan and the West in 1997 would solify Square's intensifying taste for box office and blockbuster bravado. Series patriarch Kirinobu Sakaguchi would relocate to Hawaii later the same year in order to begin production on a bona fide Final Fantasy movie with the ill-fated Square Pictures. At the time, it was known as Final Fantasy Gaia. You will know it as Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. In reality, the groundwork for expansion into Hollywood-inspired productions had been laid shortly before Square USA had been established in 1986, their first endeavour being a title based on a scrapped early concept for FF7. The game was originally set up in Manhattan, and the protagonist was a detective in the NYPD. Fusing the contemporary setting with concept introduced in a then relatively new Japanese sci-fi horror novel, and opting for real-time RPG combat mechanics inspired by Chrono Trigger and the Mana series some years earlier in the SNES, the game released in 1988 in the US and Japan making a splash as a stylish meshing of Hollywood action thriller and uniquely Japanese game design sensibilities and horror concepts. So, with that, without further ado, follow us in reaching back into our genetic memories as for one Christmas, we decide not to go out to the coast, get together, have a few laughs, but instead hit the town for a hot date in the opera in Carnegie Hall. That's right, it's Parasite Eve. So, with that... Um, intro, which I'm very proud that I wrote in five minutes flat uh, out of the way. Um, that's it. That's our Christmas episode this year. Our first Christmas episode is the venerable Parasite Eve, which does in fact take place in Christmas, which did factor into this choice of uh, game for this episode. But uh, without um, getting too far into it, but before we ask each other how we are, how are we all? I'm, uh, I'm pretty good, thanks. Uh, how are you, Johnny? Yeah, I'm decked out in my PlayStation Christmas jumper for this Christmas episode and feeling relatively good. So what we'll do first is we'll we'll do a quick kind of recap of the, the game before we uh, uh, go any further and get into our kind of thoughts about Parasite Eve and like how we kind of first encountered it. Um, the plot for this game is actually relatively straightforward. Um, the, the misgivings about all the scientific stuff don't really factor into the game too much, thankfully, and if you do want to know a bit more about them, uh, you can read up on them separately. Uh, so basically, you take the role of Aya Bree, who is a, an NYPD rookie cop, uh, who's been in the force for, I think it's a couple of years, they, they say in the game she's been in uh, the force for. Um, game starts uh, as uh, her going to uh, an opera in Carnegie Hall with a date, um, where um, the lead uh, opera singer uh, is a lady called Melissa Pierce, um, who has some kind of psychotic episode during the uh the performance and basically ignites the entire audience on fire uh like the entire audience spontaneously combusts apart from aya and some people who escape um it's all like a, a, a very elaborate full motion video video sequence um from there you then contact uh, 
Melissa, who's backed, um, went backstage and uh, then transforms into a weird kind of creature. Uh, she has some kind of like um, conversation with Aya about how Aya's mitochondria are awakening and Aya begins to feel like strange, like have odd feelings, like feeling ill, her body's heating up, all that kind of thing. So um, she then goes um, on a case um, after the situation because she's the only living witness um, and she's also happens to be in the NYPD. She is put on the case with her partner, Danny Dollis, um, they then go to a scientist who is familiar with their uh, mitochondrial research, Hans Klump, who is very um, hostile towards them when they go and uh, question them at the Museum of Natural History. Uh, very defensive, very evasive. So they think something's going on and he knows a little bit more than what's um, what he's letting on, effectively. Um, so the next day, and I believe it's Christmas Day at this point, or maybe just Christmas Eve, I can't quite remember. Um, basically, uh, Melissa reappears uh, um, some I think it's like a Christmas vigil, like a, a um, Christmas carol vigil in um, Central Park, and basically makes the entire audience orange tang, like just like emulates something to do, um, which then disappears into the sewers in New York. Um, and it's then it's not quite clear exactly what it's being used for, but you find out later in the game. Um, so after that, Vicky and them becomes very clear that um, Melissa has some kind of crazy powers that are um, able to transform other things and individuals uh, and animals into uh, like monsters through manipulating their mitochondria. Uh, basically, she, um, it turns out that Melissa is uh, the personification of mitochondrial Eve, which is a concept you can go and look up um, if you want to know about it a bit more. Um, so basically, the rest of the game becomes a kind of a race against uh, time that you have to evacuate all of New York um, a race against time before Melissa as mitochondrial Eve can birth what's known as the ultimate being, which is a I believe I can't quite remember, but I think it's meant to be like a like a being that's completely uh, mutated my, mitochondria. It's meant to be like the successor of the human race. Um, so the the remainder of the game is a race against time to stop Melissa achieving this, whilst also finding out uh, a little bit about um, Aya's mysterious past and why she also has mitochondrial powers. Um, so that's basically the plot of the game. It's very sort of, um, as I implied in the intro, it's very sort of Hollywood thrillery, uh, with, a, with a bit of a dash of uh, Japanese horror in there, because I mean, it is actually meant to be a sequel to, well, in fact, it is a sequel to a Japanese novel by the same name of Paris at Eve, which is set, I believe, a year before the game takes place. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of recap of it. So uh, we'll now go on to, uh, I guess, just talk about our first-hand experiences, like how we first found out about this game, our first time playing it. Um, I think, well, um, which one of you wants to start here? Because I'll let I mean, one of you guys take the floor. Surely Boomer Dad Johnny should should go first, because chronologically I probably played it first. And certainly played it before me. If, if Liam has played this game before me, I'll honestly eat my copy of the thing <laughs> but yeah not to say that that matters it's just a chronological event so mm-hmm. since since uh, Dave you got your mention of Final Fantasy 7 and back in the late 90s I was playing my imported copy of Front Mission another Squaresoft classic probably not as appreciated as much as FF7 but, but definitely top tier mm-hmm. and one of the composers of that was Yoko 
Shimomura, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. And I read in a magazine, or was it the early internet, that she was doing the soundtrack for Parasite Eve. So I was like, well, I better play this then. So I took my, my bad boy PlayStation and imported an American copy because it never got released in Europe and played DJ to get it working with a mm-hmm. probably Silent Hill 1 <laughs> to get the the PAL region unlocked and I, I say this reasonably often but at the time it was just like oh my god this game it was just so innovative like oh, I was really blown away but I won't get into it too much so yeah I played it probably the year it came out if not the year after so relatively quickly what about yourself there Liam? Um, well obviously uh, as Johnny has alluded to uh, being much younger um, we we probably wouldn't have had the inclination or the sort of uh, ability to import games from abroad so I didn't yeah. play this game at all during the, the PlayStation 1 era. Um, and actually, uh, at that time, um, I wasn't really aware of Parasite Eve 1 as a game. Mm-hmm. The The earliest I ever remember hearing about Parasite Eve as a series was in the official PlayStation magazine. They had like a two-page advert. So do you know the old sort of game adverts you got in the magazines where it's like, it's usually just like an image on a whole page or something. Some of my like favorite ones that I remember is there's a Silent Hill 4 one, which is just a picture of the door. Mm. Um, but anyway, this particular one was a Parasite Eve 2 advert. And uh, if you're at all familiar with Parasite Eve 2, there's a cutscene early on. Um, as Dave explained in this series, uh, the parasite can mutate organic matter, basically, into yeah. monsters. And so early on in, in Parasite Eve 2, uh, you witness a woman being transformed by the parasite into a monster. And her mouth sort of splits at the sides. So mm-hmm. uh, at the corners of her mouth, it splits and uh, she opens up in this sort of big, horrible, uh, I, I don't know, it looks disgusting. Anyway, this uh, advert had an image of that. Uh, while I was advertising Parasite Eve 2 and it basically the tagline was something like I can't remember the exact tagline but it's like it could be inside you or something like that and I remember seeing that advert in, in the PlayStation magazine as a kid and not really understanding what it was about and just being like this is creepy as fuck and it sort of stuck with me because it just scared me basically as a kid um, but it wasn't until uh, about two years ago now that I actually played through Parasite Eve 1 and 2, one after the other, and um, just quickly became one of my favourite games of all time. Uh, One particularly is probably my favourite of the series, but um, it's really a toss-up. They're both excellent. Um, So, yeah, from being vaguely aware of it as a kid to being more aware of it as an adult, but never having actually sat down to play it to... um, just thinking it's one of the greatest RPGs on that particular system. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as uh, yourself, Liam, whereas like, I, I didn't know about Parasite Eve 1 until I'd heard about the second one, because probably anybody will, like, knowing, anybody listening to this will know that um, 
the second game was released in Europe, but the first game wasn't. So, uh, which is a bit of an odd decision because without going too far into details about the second game, it really relies extremely heavily on prior knowledge of the, the first game. Uh, so why they did that is completely beyond me. Um, but uh, PlayStation Uncle uh, did actually rent Parasite Eve 2 because Parasite Eve 2, again, not going too much into this, it, it plays much more like a Resident Evil game than this game does. We'll get into mm-hmm. the gameplay mechanics shortly. Um, but uh, he rented it didn't really like stick with them but it stuck with me because i remember seeing like all the uh the kind of city based areas which um some of those some of the city areas in resident evil 2 are some of my favorite areas in the game so it always stuck with me and i was like parasite eve what a cool looking game what a cool idea and you play as like a, a woman with like psychic powers and stuff like that that always seemed to stick with me uh, and it wasn't until several years later that like i kind of knew there was a first parasite eve but didn't know the details about it that it was based on like a novel it was a sequel to a novel and that kind of like played quite distinctly from the yeah. from its sequel, um, but yeah, it was uh, I was kind of a late bloomer. I think I played it first first time I played it would have been four or five years ago. The first time I completed it would have been earlier this year. I just never got into completing it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I've, I, I, I I prefer two. Uh, we'll get we will definitely get into this discussion when we eventually get rid of two, and we will do an episode of the two. Uh, mm-hmm. But I prefer two, and I know that's not in kilter with, uh, with with you guys um but one is such like a, a weird and interesting wee game um where from this really sort of like strong and interesting period in square's history where they were just like everything was getting tried because they like the playstation had just been such a smash hit for them as a developer and they were just like okay let's try this let's try this let's let's make tobel let's make parasite eve let's uh make brave brave fencer misashi uh, they could, they were just doing everything they could, and Parasite Eve is like one of those games that would just like barely ever happen now. Um, or and it was a relatively big budget, I think. Parasite Eve. That's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, because they were sort of like lauding it as this. Um, I mean, it's funny if we could give it like a wee bit more context. Uh, there's two sort of notes I wanted to make. Was like, mm-hmm. um, you might think it's strange that Parasite Eve two just was released and people didn't really think much of that, but you have to remember. Or if you're unaware, at that time, Final Fantasy VII was the first numbered Final Fantasy title to be released in the UK or in the PAL region. That's so right. that's not that strange. Um, and then also, it's uh, this game was released, um, as Dave has mentioned, I think, in the opening uh, of this episode. Um, it's contemporary to things that Square was doing with movies and Hollywood and America. And so this idea of a game being a big sort of Hollywood-style uh, action movie was was very much in that sort of, you know, in in the sort of forefront of their minds. And that's kind of how they approached this game almost in yeah. a way. Which, well, I think, uh, uh, if, I don't want to lean over and make a noise, but I'm pretty sure on the box it says... The cinematic RPG. Yeah, it's exactly what it says. Yeah, That's right. And yeah, it, um, and I think even the sort of uh, in 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 uh, Japan, games come with a thing that you might call like a, an O ring. If um, there's a Japanese term for it as well, but um, an Obi you, is it? Yeah, um, and it's basically a, a stripper card that goes around the side, and I think even that makes reference to it being like 
a hot, you know, a, 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 an action movie or like a big Hollywood movie right. type thing. Um, and it's strange because actually looking back at it, as, as a lot of things do on the PlayStation, it feels a bit more um, restrained than that. Like, it's, it's funny playing it now and, and being like, oh, this is what they thought of as being big and cinematic. It is cinematic, but it's it's in a way that you wouldn't really recognize now. But um, yeah, uh, definitely it's, it's a... As, a, as the sort of, um, as Dave said, there were like uh, all the things that Square Enix was putting out, or sorry, Square Soft, because they'd yet to merge with Enix. Um, they were really taking like a gamble on things, or, or not even a gamble. They were just sort of like trying out whatever might work. Yeah. Um, and I think like Parasite Eve is just so unique because of it, because um, I think Dave's right where uh, game studios now kind of want proven concepts more than they want something um, novel. And, you know, there's just really not a lot of games that you can compare this to. Oh, definitely. I think talking about the budget, I'm pretty sure they did send over the team to New York, and that's why it's such a accurate recreation. I've definitely read impressions of people from New York who are like, this is what it's like so they really captured the essence of it it, and it helps a lot that like they, they had like specific i mentioned it earlier as well but they have specific locations to go to which are real places like you, yeah. you do go to carnegie hall you do go to like the, the nypd offices you do go to the natural history museum the natural history museum there's uh, the chrysler buildings like a, the chrysler buildings are like a, an end end the game dungeon which is yeah. weird um but they didn't but, just watch uh kindergarten cop and call it a day no, no, no. That's we have other games to to look to that for. Um, but yeah, like um, to 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 go a bit more into like the USA development uh, development side. Like as I mentioned in the intro, like this was developed by Square USA, and they make a big point of that on the Japanese box for the game. Like it's everywhere. It's not just SquareSoft. It's Square USA. They're making a big deal about it. Um, it didn't really come come to fruition, but like it certainly feels like the the marketing was like we are big time. We're in the we're in America now. Like we're going to make all these huge big American games, and um, uh, they'll all be like big big budget cinematic things. And like there are FMVs in this game which feel like they're really heavily inspired by like the Hollywood action film. Like there's the bit um with the the fighter jets going through the streets of New York, which mm. reminded me of the bit and you know the 1997 Godzilla film. I was thinking that when they're chasing him through the streets because yeah. they're trying to chase him to go and eat the fish or something. I, I um 100% like business. I had that exact same thought where I was like, <laughs> that's just like in Godzilla. It's like even shot and the way the sort of the camera follows them through the streets yeah. is exactly like. Um, that film it's it's Wild. pretty interesting um how like it is really like quite striking and it wouldn't surprise me at all because i'm pretty sure that takes place in new york as well that film right am i yeah. really thinking that yeah it's so, pretty sure. exactly um and uh, one other wee factoid i think i've told you both about this already in like private conversations but specifically in the japanese manual um there is credits um like as credits but with like some bios of people involved, and uh, they did actually get like um, special effects people for Die Hard Three involved oh. with this. Um, like they got them in to do like um, like I think it's just like post post production on um, the FMV sequences. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. like for like uh, how do we make this explosion look great, or does this look um, does this look okay in context of like a, how a film would be shot and all that? But yeah, they did actually get real Hollywood people involved with this game, which is bizarre. 
considering like this game had heavy involvement from like Tetsuya Nomura and um, uh, Yoko Shimamura, who like are like well, I mean, yeah, it's just like those those two people would then go on to work on Kingdom Hearts, which is like also American but not really Hollywood. It's just this weird thing. Mm. Um, and then there's the whole thing with Aya being like basically like an original character but developed within the confines of like an existing franchise which square have done a few times and it's worked she's, varying degrees yeah it's strange she's basically the original lightning as well in terms yeah. of the fact that um if you don't know lightning is based on cloud uh which is sort of hinted at by their names but she, so her her design and her facial structure and everything resemble cloud and i'm fairly sure you can correct me if i'm wrong but Aya is also fairly similar to Cloud and um, Parasite Eve had some weird sort of uh, connections with with the Final Fantasy series in terms of their development during that time. There's just a lot of sort of ideas sort of got used from various places. I don't know. It's just... um, And then also uh, the whole thing about it being set in New York as well... um, it's it just feels so real. So obviously, yeah, we were talking about how they had these. Uh, they obviously went to America, and they had a lot of people who were based, you know, from or from the film industry in America, have an input into it. But then the technology uh, at the time for the PlayStation, I feel like they really pushed some of it because one thing that stuck out to me while I'm playing the game is. Um, so there's different areas in the game where you would go and and have a sort of, uh, you know, a look around, and it, it the whole game isn't one sort of continuous, um, space. Yeah, so you would have to sort of go between locations and choose them, and uh, the way you would kind of choose them would be this sort of three dimensional map of Manhattan, and it's such a great map. Like they even have like little ferries like going up and down the um the waterway and stuff like that and it just gave it this whole sort of like it obviously doesn't look real it's a playstation one game but to me it just felt so immersive in a way that was really strange i don't know it, it makes it, it makes you feel like oh my i'm actually really traveling about like a real place that's really new york because yeah. i mean the, the new york skyline is such like it's so ingrained in it, like human consciousness that everybody recognizes new york as soon as you see it and like, it does look like it in the game you're like oh man that's really new york i'm really here it's it's really like interesting and then you're, you're like i as a real part of the nypd she's like a real police officer uh, mm-hmm. and like the nypd offices look like a police office um yeah. it's it's really like inspired design and then obviously it helps that like all Aya's standard weaponry is real guns um like actual proper guns that you can just get apart from maybe the rocket launcher but you know whatever um but yeah um i suppose that would lead us into talking a wee bit about like um the gameplay which is an interesting part of this um yeah. it's uh it's it's an rpg but it's an action rpg and like i mentioned in the intro like it's real time um so it's kind of like plays a bit like um the mana games or like Seiken Dead Setsu 3 anything like that and specifically Chrono Trigger where like um you have a bar that fills up and then when the bar gets to the top uh, the ATV bar you can then attack so it's the combat's always going so it's um it's based a lot on like kind of spacing I feel Mm -hmm. like um you have to be very aware of your surroundings which is not something that like uh like I don't know like a a nine or ten year old me 
or you, for example, Liam, maybe like a 13 or 14 year old Johnny, um, if you're playing Final Fantasy 7 or Final Fantasy 8, you don't have to consider that. So it's a, it's a bit of a culture shock for somebody that's like at that time, I would have been quite new to RPGs. Um, it's an interesting like, gameplay style because I, I had no access to those kind of RPGs and SNES. I think yeah. as a sorry, uh, as a uh, a child, I was a bit of a a JRPG purist, mm-hmm. or or maybe JRPG purist isn't the right term. I was a <laughs> I was a turn based purist, and I yeah. liked you know I was very comfortable with menus in something like Final Fantasy VII, um, and I remember even when Final Fantasy started moving away from that kind of system, being quite put off it, put off it. Obviously now I, I appreciate um, the more interesting, not interesting, but unusual battle systems more. And this feels really ahead of its time. Like, oh, yeah. even compared to games that were similar to it at the time, like this just feels, I don't know, it's obviously not as uh, seamless as something like Seven Remake. But you can sort of see like the DNA there between something like this and stuff that Squaresoft would do later in like Final Fantasy Twelve or something like Seven Remake. Um, that sort of like real time, but you've got menus and can use actions and stuff like that. Like, um, and you can run around the arena freely. Um, there's a lot of the running around and just waiting for your thing to your bar to go up. So that you can use your better moves or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like I would say, it's not a million miles from Seven Remake, which only came out very recently, and the sort of hybrid, real-time movement but turn-based combat was really innovative at the time. It just stood out, and you sort of at first you're like, "How does this work?" And then it clicks really quickly, and you're just like, mm. "Oh yeah, of course." dodge the spider web, run to here, and then shoot this guy twice. So it's it's an interesting mix as well, because it's quite grounded in that you're like, I've got my police issue Beretta, and I'm going to shoot this mutant rat. But then you've also got parasite powers, which substitute for magic. And you've also got your your parasite energy, which would be your, your magic points. So it's a great way to have your cake and eat it in terms of having something set in the modern day of the late 90s, while also keeping all the stuff that people like from the sort of fantasy settings. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way of achieving it, like like having it be based on like a quote-unquote science. I mean, let's let's be honest here, the science in this game is kind of bollocks. Uh, I mean, it is based, mitochondrial leave is a real concept, you can go and look it up. Um, basically, like a long story short, is um, DNA that's passed through like generation to generation, like there's always mitochondrial DNA that's passed that's basically the same and it's always passed on maternally. So the concept of mitochondrial Eve is that you can work your way back through DNA lineages and find a common uh, uh, most recent common ancestor for the entire human race that's a woman who is mitochondrial Eve. Uh, and the concept of this game is very sort of like it's classic sort of Japanese what if scenario. Like what if um, mitochondrial Eve was evil and was a parasite? And that's Basically, the entire concept, um, and as a means to an end for this game to have a magic system, actually, like you totally just buy it. You're just like, yeah, okay, totally. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's science, and it's it's within the rules of the game, and it just works. And if it's if it allows you to become like a magical blue fairy that can kick shit out of the final boss in like a couple of attacks, then absolutely sign me up. 
I don't care. I, th- I think actually it's less daft than the stuff that Resident Evil had to resort to with its science. Yeah, Once you I get know. a few games in, it's like, it's it has to be, like if they made one that was purely scientific, it'd be like, oh, your mitochondria is different. You feel a bit tired. You know, it's not going to be a very interesting game. But yeah. coming off of the book, and the book is pretty good. Like it was a good read. I, d- I read it this year. And it's the same Eve. Like they've just taken the villain from yeah. this book and sort of made them reappear. Uh, and I suppose the way it works, it totally fits with the with the sort of setting that if you've got this mitochondria that's evil, it has the potential to mutate and awaken. It doesn't take that much. Mm. And I think it's quite cool how they they made Aya have powers because she also has the same sort of mitochondria. And that means that she can't be immolated because her own mitochondrial protector so it's quite a a convincing way for her to have plot armor whereas why has chris redfield never been bitten by a zombie in 20 years because he's off yeah Yeah. the um it's interesting as well because uh although the game never requires you to have read the novel there's a few things I felt where they kind of refer back to the novel. And if you haven't read the novel, you don't really get it. And the game doesn't care because it doesn't really matter for your understanding of, of the situation or your goal or anything like that. It is just a kind of like, they kind of uh, make a reference to um, events in Japan where the original novel is set and uh, stuff like that. And it kind of just goes like, that stuff happened. And you're like, what happened? It's like, it doesn't matter, you know. Um, But it also does provide you a sort of like uh, a desire to go and read the book. I've never read it. I watched a very bad um, movie adaption uh, of the novel, which, I mean... it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but it also I don't think it's particularly accurate from what I remember. So I'd, I would hesitate to say that I, I know the story of the novel, but um, I do kind of wish a lot of, you know, I wish kind of things would be comfortable doing that a bit more where they were like, we're we're going to play around in this space, but we're not going to be uh, too worried about how we fit in or, you know, or making things like, to the point where like Kingdom Hearts becomes impenetrable at a point if you haven't played yeah. certain games or something like that. Um Parasite Eve is very happy to just be like uh you know This is a story that takes place within this rule set. It doesn't yeah. really matter if you don't know where the rule set came from. You just need to enjoy what's happening now. Yeah. And also you've got the same information as Aya's got, so the yeah. protagonist doesn't know more than you. Even Maeda, the Japanese scientist, wasn't involved in the events of the novel he just knows about it because he's a scientist from japan (laughs) um and uh just because i don't know where to slide this in but um aya not being burned in the um in the opera i do like how little she cares about her date who does get burned in the opera as far as I remember. I think he escapes. She pushes him out of the chair and then aims her gun at uh, Melissa, inverted commas. Uh, That's good then. She still didn't care too much. She she never hear from him again. (laughs) He's gone. He 
he just nagged her to get the date. So the impression is that she really didn't Doesn't want to. Care. Which is good. It sort of sets her up as being quite independent and resourceful and doesn't really need no man to save her from uh, mitochondrial yeah. creatures. I always thought Laura's like a quite a, like, like, just feel like, I mean, this game does not have the greatest like localization in the world. It's like, it's very, it's, it's better than FF7's, but it's not as good as something like Vagrant Story, for example. Like, if Square mm. would improve their localization as time went on, of course. Um, but like, even from, like, it's a relatively basic localization, I would say, in terms of like, what it gets across in terms of information, but even feel like what you're getting for that, like you can infer that like Aya's quite rough and tumble, um, and it's no really bothered about like um, what's happening around her. She just because she's a police officer, she just needs to get to the root of the problem and fix it. Um, and I always thought of it like a, a Staten Island accent, like sort of Bronxy type thing, which um, is a, quite amusing in my head when you're like reading all this really like um, elaborate um, dialogue about or talking about mitochondria. My mitochondrial DNA are reacting to something about like a uh, like uh, Joey Wheeler, yeah, like like that kind of thing, um, which is probably good. It came out when it did. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh, I was yeah. gonna say that we talked about Melissa in the opera, but they give you sort of a diary entry about her, and she's obviously mm-hmm. got a a transplant, and it means that she needs to take immunosuppressants, and she winds up because she's so obsessed with getting the part and she's only an understudy as far as i remember that she sort of overdoses on immunosuppressants and that's what helps eve to take her over so you've got quite a good sort of tragic backstory in the files about her and also this is something that you learn more about in the novel but eve can control people's minds yeah and that's why she wanted that part and also i think it's maybe part of why aya came to the opera it's because she can sort of subtly influence people. Right. It's um, similar to uh, Genova reunion theory and Death of Seven. I wonder if it had anything to do with it. But, uh, but yeah, parallels there are quite interesting. Yeah, I'd never made the sort of connection between uh, the parasites in this and um, the sort of uh, biological stuff in Seven because they are a wee bit similar, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's it's probably it's maybe maybe um, just like a happy coincidence that it happened. Like the 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 book obviously came out before F Seven launched, but like I'm presuming that they had ideas for like Genova and all that kind of thing, um, and they probably just saw that uh, had the the concept for um, F Seven where it was set in New York, where uh, I think uh, the main character was Detective Joe, he was called, and they re- recycled the design for Vincent uh, and his tux Vincent form apparently, from what I understand. Um, and they were just like, oh, well, we have these ideas for this sort of organism that can infect things like the thing. Um, and mitochondrial leaves kind of marries with that, so let's let's just go with it. Um, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, there are parallels there. It's quite easy to see them. Uh, if we could just talk a wee bit more about Eve's design there as well. Um, like, it's a remarkable amount of restraint coming from uh, Tetsuya Nomura yeah. in his designs for this game. Uh, and I think that doesn't really need that much explanation for anybody at all familiar with Tetsuya Nomura. But if you're not, which uh, I doubt you are not, but um, he has a tendency to overcomplicate designs a bit. 
Like, this part of his, like, appeal. I'm not mm-hmm. shitting on it, but um, some of his designs from other games wouldn't really fit in in what is quite a grounded representation of New York and a sort of American police officer or detective. So she is quite, you know, like, it's, it's so good because a lot of her sort of, like, personality comes through in all aspects of her design. Mm-hmm. And she feels like so real, um, but it's such a a muted design. Like it, like it's basically just like regular clothes, but it's it's just it's so good. And she looks like so nineties as well. Like these games are the most nineties games. Yeah, the giant denim about. jacket and stuff like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, I just I think uh, I as one of the best sort of protagonists in. I don't know. One of my favorite protagonists, anyway, and it's also nice that it's it's a female protagonist, and I guess a female antagonist, if you can, yeah, call yeah, her that like, guess so. Explicitly, she is yeah. like genetically, yeah, true. Um, although also a big monster, but yeah, um, it's just and a mother, cool. yeah. Um, there's a lot of sort of like. And and then all the other characters kind of aren't really, there aren't any sort of like, uh, all the men in there are very sort of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not like a side character, but like Maeda's a scientist. He's quite, um, he's a wee bit timid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then um, Daniel, uh, her partner is like a sort of uh, veteran police man who's maybe uh more concerned about his family at this point rather than um risking his life or something like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so they all sort of take a backseat it's not like final fantasy 7 or something where cloud is is rescuing tifa by holding her in one arm and like pulling himself up with the other in some sort of macho um show of like uh, heroics or something like that. Yeah, I is very much like on her own against this thing as well a lot of the time. Um, yeah, there's there's only one bit that's really like where any of the characters does anything like above and beyond that. It's like it's it, it's the one bit in the game where I'm like, what the fuck is all this about? Um, where uh, uh, Danny jumps at the helicopter when he's on fire and throws the special bullets at her whilst falling oh, yeah. from the sky. It's like, what the fuck is this? The game's been like relatively grounded in terms of like action stuff and FMVs to this point. Mm-hmm. Apart from like all the fighter jets like sacrificing herself so that she can reach Eve, which also I felt was weird. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like specifically Danny jumping out on fire and throwing her special bullets was like uh yeah. And like being like like he's he's basically Danny Glover. And it's like we the the kind of time that this game came out and the kind of films that were coming out, you're like, okay, the black guy's gonna die, right? That's just gonna happen. And as soon as I saw that cutscene, it's like, oh well, he's dead then. But they actually kept him alive, which I was yeah. very surprised about. Um, See, that yeah. was his moment, like to show that he was heroic. Although yeah. I suppose he, he is. They sort of show him as not being concerned with doing his job if there's someone in danger, and he's quite hot blooded, and he just yeah, runs yeah. off and goes. A is missing, I'm going to go find her and that kind of thing. Like he, mm-hmm. and my favourite bit that we hadn't discussed yet is when a reporter's bothering Aya and just from off oh, screen, yeah. 
he just comes in with a Superman punch that's and just intro. floors him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how you meet him. Yeah, so good. And then, like, you see it, and you're like, "Well, that's." And he does it on television as well, though, doesn't he? Because the whole thing's meant to be like a, like they're filming it. Yeah, it was okay uh, in the nineties to just punch so, someone. Yeah, that has a very sort of um, Die Hard two feeling to me. Do you know at the end when um, the reporter in Die Hard two is bothering John McClane and and, and Holly Gennaro after uh, the end of the film, and she just fucking decks him? Is that? He doesn't. She does that in the first one, but I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm getting confused. She threatens to do it again in the second one. He sort of flinches. Oh, because in the second one, he's got a restraining order on her for her punching him. him. Yeah, I'm getting the films mixed up, but it's great. It's that sort of like, um, I don't know. It's maybe not intentionally a callback to that specifically, but it does feel like that kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. from movies of the time. Um, And then uh, in terms of like talking about. Uh, how ridiculous the ending gets in certain aspects um, or not so much ridiculous it's, it just escalates which is natural but I do like that the scope of the of the game never really goes overboard so like if we're comparing it a lot to, to other Squaresoft titles which I think is sometimes our inclination to or at least mine to go overboard with the comparisons but like if you think about the classic JRPG uh you know, um, climax in in seven. You're in like a crater uh, at the very heart of the world, basically. In in eight, you're in uh, a sorceress's castle and stuff like that. And it tends to be sort of like uh, just several magnitudes from where you begin in the story. But in this, um, to to go into sort of spoiler territory a wee bit more, is like the the climax of this game takes place on uh like i think it's like a battleship or something like that in the um in the water outside manhattan and you just you know the the last fight is or before like any sort of extra dungeons or anything takes place basically on board this ship and i just like that um you know it still feels kind of grounded in that like this event takes place in this city it's, you're not flying all over the world or, you know, nothing too ridiculous. It, it's all sort of um, within reach of of the the scenario, basically. It feels realistic. I just like that sort of... A lot of games, I think, have a tendency to take things too far. Yeah. Um, to the point where you sort of lose any sort of perspective on what's happening. So from uh, a new york cop who gets wrapped up in this thing at the at the opera to um basically the um fighting this thing uh in the in the harbor i'm gonna say because i keep forgetting what it's actually called um and uh i think like the statue of liberty gets involved and stuff so it is grand it's like it feels like oh shit stuff's happening like um but yeah, I just really like the how restrained this game really is for the things that it's sort of dealing with. Yeah, yeah, like it raises the stakes quite high because the ultimate being probably would destroy humanity, but yeah. she's not flying into a volcano crater on a fighter jet or anything <laughs> daft. No, and I suppose Aya's sort of she's got enough power that she can 
she can fight, but not so much that you're like, oh, she'll just fly over uh, the river to get there or anything like that. So it is quite, quite grounded, and the ending is quite good. It's got what I would call sort of more of a horror moment because you're fighting this sort yeah. of uh, embryonic ultimate being, mm. and it's sort of mutating, and then you have a chase sequence that feels very much just traditional horror you've got the the thumping music as you try and escape and the first time you play it you really have to intuit what the right route is just from mm. visual cues and from your own intuition it's quite a tense moment yeah it is, yeah it's... and even at the sort of um build up to the final battle there's this feeling of sort of like resignation of like oh it's absolutely not you know the 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 scales aren't tipped in our favor. We're probably all going to die. But what can you do but fight? You know, that's really all you've got left. So when you're in the sort of uh, inside the ship and you're preparing to go out and, and uh, I can't remember his name, but the other the other police officer gives you like a gun or something like that. Um, oh, the but, young guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Torres, maybe? Maybe the, the product, I think it's the yeah. guy who does the the mods for the guns, yeah. Um, and it all feels sort of like, uh, it it just feels almost sort of um, not futile, but that sort of like you're 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 against the you're up against the ropes and and they're they're just gonna go out fighting basically. But then you do sort of, obviously you win, like you don't lose. But yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it is a sort of like, um, yeah. Can I can I interject just um, when we were talking about the Empire, uh, no, the Empire State Building, the Statue of Liberty. There, mm-hmm. um, did you feel like um, when you went to the Statue of Liberty and it's like covered in the goo? Did you feel like it was a bit Ghostbusters too? And yeah. You thought like the uh, fucking st- Empire, like sorry, the the uh, the Lady Liberty was just going to get up and start walking through the streets of Manhattan and then destroy like Vigo in a painting <laughs> or some shit. Um, that would have been cool. <laughs> the whole game does feel a wee bit Ghostbusters sometimes, yeah. just by nature of being set where it's set and uh, ghouly things are everywhere. And it, it's set in the sort of same places where like um, Ghostbusters isn't set anywhere ridiculous. They go to museums and stuff like that or libraries which is exactly you know of the locations that Aya Bray goes to you go to um the natural history museum or you go to a hospital or you go to an outdoor arena you know you don't go to uh many sort of to compare it to maybe like resident evil where it's like oh spooky mansion and there's a laboratory under the mansion secret lab yeah yeah and these sort of like ridiculous video game locations whereas parasite eve never really you go to chinatown and then it's like what what are we going to find here well get in the sewers and fight some people You're like okay cool but it feels really good it doesn't feel boring you know it feels yes. more like you are genuinely investigating something um that's going down in New York. It's just uh, doesn't it's hold your hand too much either. Yeah, mm. it's interesting watching them make like dungeons and areas, like places that are real. Like mm. yeah, there's the whole bit in um, the Central Park where it's like it's all the interconnecting paths, 
in this sort of snowfield bit where it's like you're just walking through trees and stuff, which kind of reminded me of the uh, the Great Glacier part in FF Seven again, where there's that there's that bit where you like, you don't you only have a map and yeah. you have to kind of like you only have so many steps for you collapse for, for the cold, so you have to kind of figure out where you're going because you have to just use your um, sense of intuition for direction and all that kind of thing. What it was interesting, like watching like a real. Well, in terms of like real like a, a place that would exist in real life being like a dungeon in a japanese rpg uh it's quite an inspired sort of thing to do um yeah my favorite uh of course uh being the the natural history museum because the things that you fight are um from the museum you fight like oh, yeah. uh skeletons I think, yeah, you fight a T Rex, don't you? Like a, yeah, a T Rex yeah. skeleton comes to life and is is a boss, and uh, the sort of um, exhibits. I'm assuming the um, the explanation being they they are organic in a way because they're, uh, I don't know, skeletons and stuffed animals and stuff like that. But they come to life and you fight them, and that's the sort of those are the encounters, and I think that's really fun. Like. Um, you spend a lot of time in the Natural History Museum, uh, so it, it does leave a sort of impression on you. But um, although actually, I think you spend quite a lot of time in like the hospital as well. But, yeah, they're, they're two like quite like they're large scale multi floor dungeons. So you 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 spend yeah. like well, the game's not like massively long, but you, it definitely feels like you're there for a long time in both of those locations. Um, and like particularly for the hospital, it's kind of like weird. Because the entire reason you're there is looking for like a vial of sperm. Uh, oh then, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then like Eve finds it, and then like it's obviously pretty clear what happens with it. But you're just like when you you fight a boss on the top of the the hospital, and then Eve gets the vial and fucks off, and you're like, Ugh, that's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, See, we talked about the the T Rexes and that, but I feel like we haven't really covered the the creatures in too much detail and also the sort of body horror no. element like mm. the first rat that you meet uh, in the beginning of the game in the theater you, you get a fmv really gnarly cutscene yeah. where the rat's sort of skin peels back and it has like a split mouth and it's the creature designs are pretty gross like you could believe it would be what would happen if something got heavily mutated it's like the dog in the thing yeah it's it's like that with the rat um and then also in that area you, you come across a lot of like charred corpses like the whole game has quite a a visceral body horror to it you know not just from the parasite but the fact that like horrible things are happening to people who aren't infected and stuff like that. Um, some of them are a bit out there. I can't remember what you fight in the hospital. Can you remember? Uh, God, it's just like amoebas and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. The, the hospital of... has weird, it has strange enemies, but like it's nothing particularly remarkable. Like the, it's it's easy to remember. Like the obviously the first day of the game, like your it's your immediate impressions. Then in the natural history museum, when you're literally fighting skeletons, and so like you're immediately going to remember that. But the rest of the areas, like are just, I think it's just generic, like kind of weird animals. Um, yeah, you fight bats in the sewer and that kind of thing. Oh, there's a giant crocodile. I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, 
and the snake uh, outside the zoo in Central sure. Park. Did you fight a snakes. monkey? A monkey? I can't remember. Oh, Probably. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, I love that uh, both this and Resident Evil tap into the myth of crocodiles and alligators being in the sewers in New York. <laughs> Um, and you fight a giant one in in both, um, but yeah, and I feel like the monsters in in Parasite Eve One are all fairly okay. So when I, when I say grounded, obviously I don't mean Parasite Eve is real and there are monsters everywhere, but in terms of like what you might find having transformed into a monster if a parasite was uh, like this was released in New York. They're all quite grounded. It's like these are things that make sense, and then in uh, Parasite Eve two, it obviously goes completely off the rails with the yeah. sort of enemy design. Um, but it, it ties into that thing you were saying, where the parasite provides an in-universe explanation as to why you have magic, but it also provides an in-universe explanation as to why there are uh, random battles with RPG monsters in what is supposed to be real life New York. Like it's an all, like it just solves so many problems, you know? Yeah. And why they can shoot elements from their mouth and tail and stuff like that as well. Um, And that does tie into the sort of what you're saying, Dave, with the what if scenario. It's like, Mm. and it, it does, um, the self-contained sort of uh, science, although it's like uh, complete bullshit, but, um, the way the rules work in the game is like if it worked like this, all of this would would be able to happen, yeah. and it all feels consistent. And uh, within its internal logic, you're like, that makes sense. Like, of course, okay, sure. If that could do this, then maybe this would exist, or would you know, or this existing doesn't negate anything else you've told me about how the rules in this world work. Um, which is a shame that. Parasite Eve 2, although I completely like, not to talk too much about Parasite Eve 2, but although in its own self-contained way, I think is an excellent game, they don't play well with each other. Like, no. Um, which is funny. But uh, yeah, I think that in terms of um, bullshit in games, like games have a tendency to explore ideas that you maybe wouldn't find in a movie or something because they're they're, you're, you're much more predisposed in a game to accept things that are weird or out there, I think. Um, and in terms of uh, like just complete, utter bullshit in games, Parasite Eve I think presents quite a solid um, sort of uh, I don't want to say theory, because it's not a theory, but you know what I mean? Like it's sort of uh, reasoning and it's sort of like world building all feels very consistent and believable in a way that something like resident evil doesn't because resident evil doesn't really care that much about the science it's a means yeah. to an end in yeah. resident evil it's like gotta get the zombies whereas parasite eve it doesn't feel like a means to an end just to have an excuse to run around new york and fight things it also feels like it has sort of um it just feels a bit more uh not contemplative, but it, although the ideas it's exploring are bullshit, it feels like it explores them fairly fully, you know, 
I would say even going further, like Resident Evil's got a lot of contrived things for the story, like, oh, this mansion has traps because yeah. and this person's ancestor did this to set this up. Whereas Parasite Eve, you've got Eve as a sort of agent of her own agenda and everything she does makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. doesn't do anything sort of strange in terms of you're trying to do this why would you put yourself in harm's way she just really is quite a sensible villain and yeah yeah and and thinking about it again the game is quite dark yeah like you've got a concert hall of people set on fire and then Mm. you've got an audience in uh, central park liquefied into tank sort of human jelly and yeah. then flush down the sewers to use as uh, not fuel uh, materials to make to the ultimate being and yeah, yeah and to infect the city it's like oh this is actually quite horrifying it probably benefits from being in the the era of gaming that it was in like if you had a, a re engine parasite eve it would probably be fairly horrifying yeah. To, oh, yeah. to watch and it, um, later on in the story as well, they, uh, you really get to see like the effects on the city as you go back to the police station and it's completely sort of, not like destroyed, but it is fairly, you know, run down and, and parts of the city have been looted and, you know, it's just deserted. Um, and it, it feels very much like, because this takes a place over a few days or so. Um, I can't remember exactly how long, but um yeah like the the consequences play out fairly well as well it, it doesn't feel like uh i don't know it doesn't feel like the events are contained to just aya and her immediate you know vicinity yeah um, no and that actually works quite well because you get to have the busiest city in the world completely empty yeah and it it works as a a visual and also it means it's an easier job for the developers to not have to have crowds everywhere. So they do a good job of sort of setting up the city and all the characters and the police station full of people. Mm-hmm. And then once the, I suppose, outbreak's not quite the right word, but once uh, Eve kicks off her uh, events, you can then see the city's completely empty and it's just absolutely bizarre. Yeah, yeah and, and it helps that none of the locations are embellished in a way that something like a resident evil would want to you know like the museum is and literally just a museum the police station is literally just a police station like they're not um you know uh the, the hospital's just a hospital there's nothing here that feels um more than or larger than life it's no it's like a case just of RE2's yeah. police station is like, oh, it happens to just be a reformed dark gallery or yeah, something like that. They, like, so they, they don't pull in. anything. Like, they don't um, fudge things to make it look more interesting. Yeah. Not that they're badly designed or they're uninteresting to, to look at, um, but the fact that the everything is so grounded means that when all this stuff goes down, the only things that are larger than life are the events that happen in it, which makes them feel more impactful than when you're in i don't know uh 
some other game and, and there are monsters running around, you're like, yeah, okay, but I'm in a really weird environment anyway. Whereas in this, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm fighting a T-Rex in a museum or something. You're like, ah. Uh, um, I, I just love the T-Rex. You fight a... Uh, do you fight a big crab? Uh... You fight something in a. You fight a sort of a warehouse. Yeah, crab in a yeah. in a sort of optional warehouse where you can get more resources and maybe a rocket launcher. There's definitely a crab. There's a centipede. There's a scorpion. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of weird enemies. I think what you were saying about it being quite grounded, as long as you accept the sci-fi premise, is another thing that adds to how unique it is. Because mm. you've got the gameplay system, the setting. Um, just everything about it is fairly unique and when you play it you're just like oh this is something new you know yeah you didn't get many games at the time that were like based on like a, a real scientific concept like obviously like they, they embellish certain things and it's that's where the what if stuff comes in where they're like oh what if mitochondria worked like this um mm. and that's that's something you just have to kind of accept that's like you were saying Liam, that's the kind of rules that the game sets for itself and it plays within those rules fine and that's why you accept it um but it's the fact that like it, it's a real scientific concept set in a real place it all just you just immediately buy it um and it's like there was nothing really like that on the on any system really at the time like a lot of games were still in like here's a here's a fun platformer like here's crash here's crash bandicoot and when games were trying to be realistic you would end up getting stuff like siphon filter which um is like sort of like really sort of bastardized versions like a a hollywood action spy thriller it just doesn't feel convincing at all whereas something like this Mm -hmm. It's so different and radical, but you're you're way more willing to just buy it. I think I'd thing. compare this closest if we're to compare this based on the criteria of um taking a concept and just going, okay, if this concept was real or worked in this way, how how could you play about with that? And um it feels to me like Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. in that way and i know people are going to come and be like no no can't, hold on because in metal gear solid you've got a man who shoots bees and you've got all this ridiculous stuff it's like yeah okay conceding that metal gear solid is a ridiculous series with some really ridiculous character designs and things in it but it's also full of stuff like um like fox die what if there was a you know a virus that could target people in that way yeah. or um you know information control in metal gear solid 2 and the way that sort of works and what sort of um implications there would be of that like this it- feels like something that could appear in a metal gear solid game the whole mm-hmm. mitochondria thing you know um and it the way it sort of fuses those sort of concepts with like in metal gear solid there's a lot of, like real life military stuff you know or like uh sort of like uh real life technology and in this it's the sort of like the fusing of that with real life police work and stuff like that the only thing is you don't want to discuss metal gear and parasites in the same sentence because that could be a whole other conversation and you might die if you speak english (laughs) Uh, but Uh, yeah like sorry no, all I was going to say is like I suppose uh, I don't know if this would be the right terminology to to work, but it feels like it's right. 
in my head, like uh, if you would refer to them as like sort of hyper realistic games, where like like they are all uh, it's all steeped in realism, but it's like it's cranked up just a notch above what's actually real. So it's like yeah. kind of hyper real, I guess. It's that case of like just because you've introduced something that doesn't exist doesn't mean you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, exactly. So, um. It's like basically like because I feel like there are games out there that just sort of go well. We've already done this thing that's ridiculous. We can add anything, and the explanation just is it's made up, it's fictional. Just accept it. Whereas I think in Parasite Eve, like Johnny said earlier, if I had just started flying, you'd be like, "Hang on, mm-hmm. you've you know this doesn't work." Or if like, if you know something like, uh some weird sort of resident evil style uh volcano fight or something you'd be like there's no volcanoes near where we were why were we here you know it it never lets itself stray outside its very tangible rules of its reality so it becomes like a new reality you know it's mm-hmm. a fictional reality but it's constrained by that it's not a difficult like obviously a lot of people and fiction does that but it just feels so strongly realized here you know the framework it sets itself just feels so tangible that it becomes even more you, you can believe it even more you know actually maybe... can i quickly bring up something that we haven't discussed yet uh that i don't want to forget it's just yeah. how good the soundtrack is oh yeah honestly it kind of broke my heart when i read that yoko shimamura considers kingdom hearts our best work and this was just an our day at the office because honestly yeah. this is probably one of my top five soundtracks of all time i just love it obviously i played it at that time when i was you know young and had lots of free times so obviously if i hear a song from that time in my life i'm gonna feel quite good yeah but separate from that it just is a great soundtrack the sort of what would you call it it's got the jazz and the synth and the dance yeah, it's got the sci-fi but yeah. without being you know too sci-fi it's just no. it's clinical. i love it it's it's really like it's got a lot of melancholy even the sort of battle music never really um there's no there's no like heavy metal guitar battle music kind of stuff like from final fantasy 7 or something like that it all sort of feels very um fitting and then like i think like one of my favorite things is this game has an amazing like uh attract mode whatever you want to call it um or opening cutscene, and the first few notes on that piano as it sort of begins are just you know set the tone and i love it yeah um it I'm, really fits like a sort of cold um oppressive new york to it. like it's 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 downbeat but it's always it's it, it has this kind of edge to it that just keeps you on your toes it, it works very well for the game and it's not really much like anything else or really like any of the rest of Yoko Shimomura's like library at all mm-hmm. she's not really like one for compo- composing music that's mostly like a, a, would you say this is ambient kind of has an ambient feel to it yeah, um, maybe. She's, yeah. she's really no like one for making music like, the, like there's nothing like like this in Kingdom Hearts or Front Mission or uh Trying to think of Street Fighter Two, Street Fighter Two, or Final Fantasy Fifteen. There's like nothing like that. It's it's very unique and even just within the confines of Yoko Shimomura's entire catalogue, and it it does stand out, not in a bad way at all. 
Oh, it's great. Like we didn't mention the when you have that sort of realistic, well, not realistic, but immersive 3D map. It's got an amazing map theme that mm. at the time I just left the game sitting because I just enjoyed the theme so much. It sort of it brings the feeling of this bustling metropolis to life. Mm. There's a obviously great... sorry. Go ahead. There's a there's a great track in the hospital which has this sort of like um it, it feels very uh it gives me a like hang on let me start again there's this great track in the hospital that feels very biological it's got this mm-hmm. sort of because in the hospital obviously it's a bit more focus on sort of uh like i said they've got like the amoeba monsters and stuff but um so she goes from that sort of like piano music from the opening to a sort of more sort of synthy uh scientific feeling music um in the hospital and, and there is like although it all feels very sort of not uniform like it's all tonally fits the game so well but there is like a lot of variation within it that makes it feel really deep mm-hmm. um, oh i forgot something as well which i feel daft so obviously Eve's battle theme has operatic elements because she's an opera singer. It's just yeah. such a, a smart touch. You sort of forget because a lot of games maybe will utilize opera anyway. Yeah. But it's so fitting uh, for that. Oh, she does have like that um right at the start of the game in the opera, she does sing, you know. Mm. Um and, and then it does I think throughout the game she sings, doesn't she? Because she yeah. sort of sings a bit when you meet her in the um central park uh and there's that really odd sounding vocal synth you know because it's not yeah it's perfect like it, i think a real singer would be too comforting yeah, yeah it's otherworldly isn't it it's haunting yeah it's... the fact that it sounds this sort of like it almost has um uncanny valley to it mm. Mm. Um, it's like clinical almost it's very yeah engaging. Now, um, I want to give a little factoid before we we get too close to the end. Did yeah. you guys know that if you do the Chrysler building post-game dungeon that you get a different ending? No. Yes. Yeah. No, I never that. did the Chrysler building. Yeah, so it's it's relatively tough, but obviously you can grind, so it's not insurmountable, but you get what I think is considered the true ending if you if you do that. Oh, of course, because uh, Parasite Eve 2 assumes that ending yeah it does yeah. It, it's based uh, off and of a, a lot of things ending. yeah uh-huh. but, um, I th- thank god I Parasite really... Eve 2 was the only sequel <clears throat> uh, less said about third birthday the better we'll never cover it because no. I'm not playing it I tried no, it's terrible no um, but uh, yeah I guess like the fact that this game is so different from Yokushima Mura's other sort of work. Or not like so different, but like it's a, an outlier. Um, and it feels the same for everybody in this project because um, obviously we already talked about how Tetsuya Nomura, his designs in this are so restrained compared to like his more outlandish designs that we're sort of used to. Even things like hair. You, you've got no anime style hair in this game where somebody's got like spiky hair or like 50 belts. Um, and then I think like even in terms of 
just Squaresoft as an as a company, this feels uh so different to any of their other sort of offerings at the time. Cause they didn't really do a lot of sci-fi. You know, I mean it depends what you call seven. Seven to me is not sci-fi, even though it's set in a sort of diesel punk world. It's too close to the sort of themes of Final Fantasy as a whole. It's a fantasy game. Same with eight. Eight is set in like a sort of retro futurism type world, um, but it's mostly concerned with the sorcerers, you know, sorceresses and magic and stuff like that. Um, so to me, that's fantasy as well. And this, I would say, is um, science fiction to like to its core almost. It's like sci-fi horror. Yeah. But the sci-fi elements of it are very much sort of, they're not like, to make a difference between like sci-fi fantasy and science fiction, lightsabers work because they're basically magic. Whereas the mitochondria in this work, because there's like an explanation for the science behind it, even though it's mumbo jumbo, it like, it's internally consistent. And like, Square didn't really do anything like that at the time, I don't think. Or no, at I least... can't think of anything like that in their catalogue at the time like um I'm trying to think of anything that they did that's like based on like i suppose the closest would be uh like racing lagoon which is like mm. a, a racing um like an rpg game that just got a, an english patch released recently i think that's the closest thing they did but it's like kind of set in some form of reality with and bushido blade but that's a fighting game so it doesn't really count um and it's a double whammy as well because it's a it is a horror game Right, and Square didn't do a lot of like. There's horror elements, sure. You can find these things in all their games, like, but it, it to have like something that is so explicitly like horror mm. and quite adult as well. Like, I don't think I would have played this as a kid and been. I mean, it wasn't too many years after that I played Silent Hill, but it scared the shit out of me Silent Hill, and I think this would have scared me as a kid as well if yes. I played it. It's quite frank um, with its horror. It doesn't hide anything. It's very yeah. upfront with it. Yeah, another thing that highlights that sort of difference that you were talking about is the fact that you're essentially moving with the exact same movement as Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Yeah. When you're not in combat, you're doing yeah. the sort of, uh, what would you call it, the diagonal movement. Um, and... Isometric? No. Well, I, I, think, I know what I mean. It just feels exactly yeah. like seven. As soon as you start playing it, you're like, "Oh, this is how you move in the macro reactor." Yeah. And then when you're in combat, it doesn't feel like that anymore. But it is kind of a weird uh, system. When you would, the most obvious comparison would be Resident Evil, you know, set in the real world, kind of thing. But you don't move anything like that yeah, in Silent Hill One. Anything like a Resident Evil game at at all. Uh, but mm-hmm. which like, is to its credit. Yeah, but Parasite Eve 2 is a completely different matter. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 always felt like me like it's like it's, it's a definitive sort of midpoint between seven and eight, but it's like it still feels like seven, but it's it's looking a bit like the the, the visuals and design design sensibilities in terms of like how Square make character models is yeah. more leaning towards eight, where they're making them like more realistic proportions, higher detail, better quality textures, all that kind of thing. So it always felt like a kind of midpoint between those two games for me. Yeah, you can see really see Square like uh, I don't even know if this is a phrase, but like honing their like I was gonna say honing their teeth, but that's not a thing. Craft honing their craft. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, 
uh, on the PlayStation because you still see elements of uh, in seven of like the uh, the two D era games on Nintendo platforms, and you can see like a holdover from that being uh, intended for the Nintendo sixty four even mm-hmm. in the way that the models are used and they're all sort of like. Uh, untextured models and stuff like that whereas in this um it's it's a a world away from that sort of aesthetic and i think it's just such a good looking game it it's one of those ones where like i feel like any game that has pre-rendered backgrounds has such a an edge over full 3d games of this generation oh yeah um unless you're talking about something like metal gear solid which is i don't know magic but um, it just holds up so well from a sort of like visual uh, communication sort of point. Like if you look at like, there's a few things in Final Fantasy seven where even at the time I had no idea what it was supposed to depict. Do you know, there's a clock in the uh, temple of the ancients. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Final Fantasy seven and in the middle of the clock, there's like a face. I think it's a mouth. Yeah. It talks to you. I thought it was a feather. I was like, the fuck is that? And then you've got, um, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but I think everyone does. Maybe not. Uh, like Bugenhagen in yeah. uh, in Final Fantasy VII with, sitting on his orb. I just thought he didn't have legs. Yeah, I was exactly the same. Like, Yeah. Um, and so, like, in, but he's actually, he's a, a man sitting on an orb. Um, so there's obviously an issue in there in how the, the, visual, the visuals yeah. communicate what they're depicting. Whereas in this, there's like just a clarity to it where you're like, oh, it all really represents what it's supposed to be to the point where like when you think back on it, you don't really, you're not aware of like, if I think back on Final Fantasy VII, like I'm aware that, oh, that doesn't look real. But when I think about Parasite, even I'm thinking about the museum, it feels like a real place. Like I don't, you know, really recall that it looked like a render because it just has this sort of um clarity to its like visual design yeah you uh, have I, you have that issue with some games where it's like you're very aware that you're in a box and you're not in a yeah. room and uh like they they the design sensibilities of this game and like how they've how they've done the renders like it does feel like you're in a real place with like actual volume to it even yeah. though it is just a pre-rendered background and I was in reality just walking along a 3D plane on top of that. Um, yeah. That's how the games work. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like they've they've done it with such like expertise. I mean, considering that Square at this point were only working with pre-rendered stuff for like, I think, one and a half years. And they've, mm-hmm. they're already doing stuff like this. And then the stuff they were pulling with like Parasite Eve 2 with that whole sequence where you walk through oh, um, incredible. with the, the moving FMV. Oh my God. And that's that's like two years after this and they were already pulling yeah. stuff like that. They're absolutely fantastic. The uh, I think we're, we're getting close to the one and a half hour mark here. Um, yeah. How do people feel about final final comments? Final comments? Uh, well, if you want to take it away, Johnny, because you are the oldest of us. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know if I've actually praised this game enough because it is one of my very favourites on the PS1. Whenever I'm talking to Dave and Liam about playing PS1 games or PS1 emulation or even uh, 
what I've dubbed Gym Pass, potentially mm-hmm. for the, the PlayStation 4 and 5, emulating PS1 games. I'm always like, will it play Parasite Eve? Mm. Because that's the pretty much number one game that I want to replay from the the PS1 era. So if you haven't played Parasite Eve, you can get a bad boy Vita. Don't ask me how. Um, or I guess if you import it, it's kind of a pain to play it like so i guess emulate it if you're if you're in the uk like us or if you're in other countries buy an ntsc copy like i've got but yeah it's really worth playing and if you don't want to play it i guess just listen to the soundtrack on youtube but it is absolutely fantastic uh although we don't usually rate things i'll give double thumbs up (laughs) but yeah yeah i think like um and I know that these words coming from a podcast about horror games, it maybe the don't carry as much weight as I'd, as I'd like, but I can't overstate how much this game is one of my favorites on the PlayStation One. Like, uh, basically, I, just exactly what Johnny's just said. Like. It, even even out of the games that I like, and even out of games that Square Enix put out on on the platform at the time, I think this is just an absolute outlier. Like, of all the games on the PlayStation, I don't think many sort of reach the sort of uh, just the technical and artistic like heights of Parasite Eve. I don't know. I love it. It's amazing. Um, I think about it all the time. Um, I would love them to go back to the series but at the same time there's absolutely no way they wouldn't mess it up even though um what's his face has left the company and, and can't make another third birthday uh or a final fantasy tabata. 15 ever again tabata yeah we love him um but yeah just i think everybody should play it just go out and play it doesn't matter how you play it um yeah it's amazing yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna um, uh, uh, go away for the the company line before they uh, establish here, but like, yeah, it is genuinely a special wee game, um, like, and I'm, I sometimes kick myself that I didn't um, get PlayStation Uncle to import a copy so we could we could play a pirated uh, back in the day, um, but like, yeah, I mean, as <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, like, I, I have issues here and there with it, like in terms of like the plot and silly things happening and the translation not being fantastic but I mean that's just that's not any different for any other kind of game that I've like, truly hold dear to me for that time like Final Fantasy 7 is my favourite game of all time and this is basically the same kind of thing where it's like it's, you love it for all its flaws and um, there's, when I first when I first played it all the way through earlier this year it was coming up with wee surprises for me like I didn't even get into like or we didn't even get into the combat system and like or like the the, the weapons upgrading and how like you can no. combine weapons and stuff when I, when I realized how that worked when I had a discussion with like both of you about it, I was like oh my god that's great like I had no idea like you could do that with it and like it just haven't like it's no even just like a uh, an experiment. I mean, it is an experimental game, but sometimes you have that feel for those kind of games where, like, it's not fully formed and they've just put mm. in some ideas, and it's kind of half baked. That's not this game at all. Like, it's short, but like, it's fully realized, and there's a lot in it. And there's the Chrysler Building endgame dungeon, which is like partially randomized, and it's seventy-seven floors. Like, 
that's like just crazy. You just get that at the end of the game, and you then can go and play it with your end game gear and stuff like that. But yeah, like um, we've already discussed like uh, how the game like kind of draws you in with like bait having its own sort of realistic um to it, like hyper real take on like a, a real world concept and like how that would apply to uh, like a, a crisis in New York and uh, yeah, like it's a, a really like remarkable wee game for like this special special really special um did i say special enough period in games and especially for squaresoft where like they were just there were so many ideas coming to left right and center and um not all of them were good a lot of them were but this is like a this is a real like a real wee gem in the playstation one library and i, I truly urge anybody to play it especially considering it's coming up christmas and the game takes place during Christmas. Um, it makes a change for watching Die Hard, although you're <laughs> free to watch Die Hard as well on Christmas Day, as I'm sure we all will be doing. But uh, yeah, I suppose that kind of covers all of our thoughts on Parasite Eve, by the sounds of things. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty clear what we all think of it. Um, so, I'll do some wrap-up here. I'll mention all of our social media stuff, obviously. Our most active social media, I would say, is our Twitter account, which is at RPD Podcast. Uh, we do also have a Facebook page, um, Raccoon, Post, Raccoon Podcast Department on Facebook. In terms of listening to us, I mean, you probably already are, but we can be listened to on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, um, as well as other outlets, which I can't remember, but those are the main two. Um, in terms of episodes uh, this is our last ep- like this is our last main episode for the year but um feel free to cut this out if we we shouldn't be talking about it but i believe we'll be doing like a a best of 2021 episode where we're going to talk about that might see if we can get that out before the end of the year how do you feel about that yeah we ended end of year review would be nice mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh like, yeah we can we can Watch this space for like something coming out before the 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 years all said and done. We're gonna have a discussion about what our favorite games this year were. Maybe not even games, maybe some films in there. We'll see how we feel about it. But yeah, um, until until then, and until next time, have a nice Christmas and have a lovely December. See you later. Bye. Bye.